The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Woo, what a show we have. It is jam-packed, chock-full of fantastic indie artist empowerment news and interviews and lots of fun along the way. We got ourselves a lot to talk about. Let's go ahead and bring in producer Lauren to help me make sense of everything we got coming out. How are you doing, Lauren? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing quite all right. Even though I spent the last weekend coming back uh, from a Vegas red eye for business, which like knocked me out, I'm still just recovering from it. I didn't um, know you were in Vegas. What were you doing out there? Well, I, I was, I was, it was very much a business trip as, as you know, it wasn't just, wasn't just me just having fun frivolously in Vegas while I have a six just month old at home. Fun. That being said, um, yes, I did. I did. I did dabble in a little bit of the dark gambling. Um, actually got a pretty embarrassing gambling story. I'll go, we'll lead with that. All right. We have a okay. lot of, we have a lot of great stuff to talk about. Okay. We, uh, we're going to talk about the Taylor Swift ticket master thing. We're going to talk to our guest this week, LJ Malberg, an amazing coach, CEO of compassionate muse. She's going to be awesome. We got the AI overlords tip of the week. We got some entertainment law news. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, but since you brought up Vegas, let me tell you what happened to me. Okay. Okay. Because this is equal parts embarrassing. And at the same time, oh, so Ryan. I only gambled once in Vegas. It was a quick little trip after I'd got all the business done, doing client work and everything. I was like, you know what? I got a couple hours to kill. Let's play a little bit of poker. <laughs> and I, 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 t I set very strict limits with myself when I gamble. I say, this is the amount of money I, I have. Once it's gone, the gambling's done for the day. And there's no more money that comes out of my pocket. I, I'm very strict about that. So I had... I had like $150 set aside and like, this is, this is the most I'm going to lose possibly. Okay. And so I take it to a Texas Hold'em table and I tell myself, my rule is going to be, I will play until 9.30 PM. Okay. At which point I have to get on my red eye flight, which leaves at midnight uh, to get wow. me in Miami by 7 AM the next day, except it didn't do that because we were stuck for three hours on the tarmac, but that's a whole other different story. Oh no. Yeah, it was a nightmare. But anyway, I was like, all right, no matter what happens at 930, we leave the table, whatever our budget is at. All right. The time fast forward to the time 918 p.m. I am up three hundred dollars. We are we are crushing it. We are on a run. And I just won a big hand at 918. And every fiber of my being was saying, Ryan. Time yeah. to leave the table. Mm -hmm. You're done. I know you said 930, but go get yourself a drink at the bar. Pack your stuff up and get your happy butt to the airport. Every fiber in my being said that, except for the small part of me that said it is, you know, it's bad form to leave a cash game right when you win a big hand. Nobody likes that guy. And also, you said you'd stay till 930. 
You made that promise to yourself. Smash cut to 9.30. In the time between 9.18 and 9.30, I proceeded to lose everything. To zero? To zero. Thanks, Vegas. Wow. It was, was, but I think it's important, right? Because had I left- had I left a few hundred dollars up, I would have been like, oh, I got Vegas figured out. I'm, I'm a professional gambler now. I'm going to like quit my legal practice. I'm going to do this for a living. I'm going to move out to Vegas. But no, I needed to lose a little bit of money to embarrass myself so that I, you know, so that I got it out of my system and I know not to gamble anymore because apparently I'm terrible at it and I make bad decisions. Wow. Yeah, that one hurt. That one hurt real bad. Yeah, I'm too indecisive. I was doing shows in Vegas and everyone's like, what are you going to gamble on? I walked downstairs and I was like, too many choices, too many choices. I can't do it. The flashing lights. I like walked out. I couldn't I couldn't gamble because there were too many choices. I couldn't do it. My flight got (laughs) delayed three hours as well. But I was stuck in Washington, D.C., wandering around and going, wait, more time. I'll just go into the Smithsonian. Well, there you go. And I will say this. Um, I would say this past week, Lauren, Washington, D.C. was more fun than Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Case in point, yesterday, the Senate Judiciary Committee had what I thought was a pretty fun and entertaining hearing, um, basically combining two of my favorite things. One, Taylor Swift, and two, Grilling Ticketmaster for its predatory business practices, which is what they did. Uh, So I want to debut a new segment here on Break the Business, Lauren. Uh, It's a one-time segment. We're going to do it once and never do it again. But the title of this new segment is, We See What You Did There, Richard Blumenthal. (laughs) And the way I see what you did there, Richard Blumenthal, works is we follow the exploits of Connecticut Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal while he does things that makes us go, I see what you did there, Richard Blumenthal. So Blumenthal, apparently something of a secret Swifty, because he's on the Judiciary Committee and he's helping lead this hearing where they're grilling Ticketmaster executives for their complete debacle uh, during the whole Taylor Swift ticketing sales debacle, all of the high fees, the platform failures, the predatory business practices, all the stuff that Ticketmaster does that we all hate. Finally, the Senate, Democrats and Republicans taking them to task And in my opinion, Blumenthal had like the highlight quote of the whole hearing where we suddenly all found out together that Richard Blumenthal, secret Taylor Swift fan, quoting lyrics during the hearing. Lauren, I think you have the video. Can you pull up Senator Blumenthal during this hearing? Too many concerts. And may I suggest respectfully that Ticketmaster ought to look in the mirror and say, I'm the problem. It's me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and I love the way he does it too. He does a little pause there cuz he knows what he's about to do. Like he's like my my 13-year-old daughter told me what to say here. I have it written down. It's going to be so terrific. Um I thought it was great and and hilarious and like and and he wasn't the only senator to do to do that by the way. I think like three or four senators during the hearing also Swifties like snuck in little Taylor Swift lyrics to smack around Ticketmaster. It was delightful. My only complaint about Blumenthal's commentary as we have it there is they actually didn't get all the clips of Blumenthal making Taylor Swift lyrical references because he made a bunch of them during the hearing. And that's the clip, the only one that's gone around. But 
Um, I actually have some connections at the Senate Judiciary Committee, and I was able to get more of Senator Blumenthal's testimony where he made a few more Taylor Swift lyrics. And so we're actually going to play that video here on Break the Business so y'all can see here, see and hear how much of a fan of Taylor Swift Senator Blumenthal is. So here we go. Oh, it's not there. It is. <laughs> Fall because she was failing to do too many concerts and May I guess respectfully that Ticketmaster ought to look in the mirror and say, I'm the problem. It's me. We've called you here today, Ticketmaster, because your excessive fees are hurting musicians and fans alike. And may I suggest respectfully that now we got problems and I don't think we can solve them. Now, you might think that your predatory and monopolistic business practices against music fans aren't that bad and that you didn't do anything wrong. But may I suggest respectfully that this is an open shut case. I guess I should have known from the look on your face. Every bait and switch was a work of art. We're coming after you, Ticketmaster. We're coming after you big time. May I say respectfully that I got a list of names and yours is in red underlined. I check it once. I check it twice. Oh. Look what you made me do. <laughs> That's great. Is it possible to be proud of something and not proud of something at the same time? Sure, why Cause, not? Because that's... Because both of those emotions in equal parts go through my head. Is that is LJ Malberg? I think I see her in the green room, like smiling at that. Like, <laughs> she's like, what, what god-awful show did I get on? What did I just sign up for? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Another podcast host doing Richard Blumenthal impressions. So unoriginal. <laughs> oh, no. That like that sing songy voice that he does, though, like you could do that. It lulls you into it. It's uh, it's great. Um, that was great, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, I love I love that. Again, this was Democrats and Republicans. You can't get these people to agree on anything and we got them all agreeing that Ticketmaster sucks for their predatory business practices and their monopolistic behavior and the only thing that would make me happier about this is if i thought it would lead to any substantive change because it won't oh no it I won't was so hopeful because i i know how like i maybe i've just gotten too cynical about the way that washington works but like i know how this works like a hundred percent agreement by all Democrats and Republicans doesn't like actually fix anything. Right. I know how this is going to go down. The Democrats are going to propose one bill to regulate Ticketmaster. The Republicans are going to put up their own bill. Neither side's going to vote for the other side's bill and nothing is going to get done except a bunch of senators got to make some funny Taylor Swift references on television, which isn't nothing, but it doesn't actually fix any of the problems. That kind of makes me sad. But at the same time, you're the only person I know who's actually worked in D.C. And so you probably know better than me. And that's sad. <laughs> I would love nothing more than to be wrong, by the way. Right. Um, for sure. We're you know, all this, rooting I, for hope in this country. I would love well. for this to be the one thing that brings these two political parties together. You know, not enemy. like not feeding the hungry, not democracy, <laughs> nothing. Just 
They're all Look, Swifties and they'll do anything for Taylor. They were all trying to buy tickets, okay? So they're That's all probably... mad because it hit them personally. They yeah. were like, what the heck? They at least all have teenage children that are just crying <laughs> so right mad. now. They're like, you need to do something about this mom and dad. If you're yeah. in government and doing nothing, why can't I get tickets? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, So there's that. <laughs> I mean, if anything comes of this, we'll be sure to report it on Break the Business. But uh, uh, respectfully, <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> May I suggest respectfully that nothing will come of this. Um, Let's go ahead and do our AI Overlords Tip of the Week. For the newbies around here, the way that the AI Overlords Tip of the Week works is we ask ChatGPT to give us a tip for indie creators and we read it on the air. And at first it started off as a joke, but for some reason you all really like it when the robot gives us advice. And so we built a segment around it. We've created imaging around it. And now the our robot overlords rule everything we do. So here's our AI overlord tip of the week. As an independent creator, one of the most powerful tools at your disposal is email marketing. Email is a direct line of communication with your audience, and it allows you to build a relationship with your subscribers and keep them informed about new content and upcoming projects. To get started with email marketing, consider collecting email addresses from your website or social media accounts, and then send out a regular newsletter or update to your subscribers. Be sure to include a mix of content such as updates on your latest projects, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, and special offers or discounts. By consistently providing value to your subscribers, you'll be able to build a loyal audience who will be more likely to support your work. It's important to keep in mind that email marketing is regulated by laws to protect recipients from unsolicited or unwanted emails, commonly known as spam. It's important to ensure that you follow the laws and regulations in your area, such as the Can-Spam Act in the U.S., and obtain explicit consent before sending emails to your subscribers. This can include providing an opt-in mechanism, a clear unsubscribe link, and identifying yourself as the sender of the emails. Wow. I love that the Overlord not only gave advice, but then gave you, like, legal advice about the advice they just gave you? This makes me a little nervous. (laughs) Because it was one thing when the AI overlord was just throwing in some cute little tips for indie creators. Now it's coming in on my turf. Like, that's the part it's we like, up with. It's like, I'm giving legal advice now. Right. We're like, hey, it tells you to do emails. And then we're supposed to come on and go, but when you do emails, make <laughs> yes! sure to follow XYZ. Now we're just going to sit there and be like, good job, AI overlord. I was halfway through <laughs> reading the advice and I was like, okay, when I'm done reading this, I'm going to tell everyone about you know the laws and the Can Spam Act. <laughs> nope, the robot beat me to it. I have nothing more to say. Well, what I will say is that we've been saying that for a long time, which is when you have a social media presence, you don't own your contact list. Yep. So whether it's email or anything else, find a way to 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 move that into something that is tangible that you own. Have people go to your website and sign up. Yes, I'd love to get notifications. If you sign up for our email list, we'll send you a track will send you a coupon for our thing whatever it is so that people do check that little box and say i'm okay getting this and you collect information for yourself because when the ai overlords decide that that platform isn't allowed to be up anymore (laughs) uh you better have your contacts well what do the experts always tell us when they come on the show we've had a lot of email marketing pros on and they often use this uh 
analogy of like renting versus owning, right? All of your following on social media, you're renting. Yeah. It is at the pleasure of whatever social media service it is. And overnight, with a snap of your fingers, the Facebook following can disappear. The TikTok following can disappear. The Twitter following can disappear. The only piece of real estate on the internet where you can collect data where it is yours and yours forever, email addresses. Furthermore, I think, and the pros talk about this too, that email marketing has a much higher conversion rate. People are much more likely to open their emails than they are to see a social media post of yours, particularly now with what we've seen with Twitter recently, right? Where uh, since Elon Musk's takeover, there's been a lot more leaning on the platform. Uh, the platform's leaning a lot more towards trying to curate your content based on interests instead of just showing you stuff from the people you follow. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people on Twitter are complaining that their tweets are not hitting as many people as they used to. Mm -hmm. And that's not just a feeling they have. That is true. And the data bear that out. And that can happen on any of these services, right? The, the algorithms can change. The way that the platforms do business can change. And you might lose access to that audience. But email is always going to be email. Mm -hmm. Unless the AI overlords take it over in some way, which is always possible. And on the legal side, I will say for those who are kind of frightened by the idea of all these laws, oh, no, I don't want to get in trouble with the feds or anything like that. A lot of the traditional email marketing platforms like your MailChimps, for example, mm -hmm. have this kind of functionality built in. The unsubscribe link so that if people don't want your emails anymore. They can make the emails go away with a click, which is required by federal law. And so you don't have to worry as much about that. And those kind of platforms are a lot more safer legally than working than like just trying to stick all the email addresses in like the BCC line of an email, which oh is gosh. how you can uh, get really get yourself trouble. in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Constant contacts, a good one. Yeah, that is a good uh, one. Things that like organize them for you. You can set when things go out. You can write a bunch of emails. It's uh, use them, collect them. What about snail mail? Am I like super old? Can you say like, hey, we'll send you a this if you just let us know your address. Do you think that's helpful to anyone? I mean, I guess it's more expensive to have to mail physical stuff out. But, you know, a calendar stays on somebody's wall for a whole year. That's what all the yeah. real estate agents do, right? <laughs> right. I, I don't know if I'm necessarily, I, I'm not necessarily dismissing that out of hand. Yeah. I mean, we're not so young, you and I, that you don't remember that, that we remember a time when we would go to concerts and they would pass out a, oh, yeah. a, a mailing list. And it wasn't to get your email address. It was oh. to get your snail mail address. Yeah. Like we're we're not we're young. We're old enough to remember that time. Oh, yeah. And and that might be something that music that, that musicians want to consider, because I would imagine that the conversion rate on like a personalized piece of physical mail is probably even higher than email. Oh yeah. And especially if it like, if it's something that looks really pretty, maybe the way that an artist can do it, if they want to have like a snail mail mailing list is this is sort of like a more premium tier, right? Like you, right. you have like your biggest fans, the most, right. you know, the tier one fans, the fans that are like really paying into your bank account every year and they get something personalized, right? They get right. something that's, that's cute and physical that they you know, refrigerator magnet that they can stick on their wall I like this idea. I think there's some truth to that. I mean, like they want to buy one of your T-shirts. You now have their address and you follow up with a thank you note. You send them, yeah. you know, especially I've done a bunch of um, like workshops and seminars and things like that. And they'll send you like little kits ahead of time that have a bunch of branding stuff in them. I'm like sitting here with my theater makers coffee mug on my desk because it was built into the price of the seminar. 
So there are ways to uh, help offset the cost of mailing stuff. But I think people like getting stuff in the mail because it's not common anymore. Yeah. And you can get lost in a lot of things. Anyway, there's always thoughts, but even context, but also like your content. If you're only keeping your content on those social platforms, that can disappear too. So back up the stuff you actually care about. No kidding. I mean, we, 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 I mean, the classic example of this that we've been bringing up for years is Vine, uh, which is right. sort of like the precursor to TikTok. Gen Zers, we, we used to have this platform <laughs> called Vine, which is like TikTok, except the videos were only six minutes long. And chances are a lot of the references that you and your friends make actually were invented on Vine. So uh, respect to your ancestors. Um, but there were a lot of people who became legit stars on Vine, making these cute little six-second videos, got millions of followers until one day, poof, Vine disappeared overnight, and along with it, all your Vine followers, and to what you noted, Lauren, all your Vine content that you developed. I mean, and then, of course, all those people posts, flooded to TikTok. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it's one thing if all of your posts are like, hey, this was interesting, or hey, watch this thing, but there are people putting on full shows. I mean, we've got Mary Amber does great content, and yeah. you go to watch her stuff, and I'm like, I'd be heartbroken if she lost all of those shows that she full on produced. And so I, I hope she and everyone else is backing up that stuff. We're going to wind up with our own servers one day because that's going to be easy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the same people who, by the way, talk about the importance of email marketing and actually getting your fans email addresses. Those are the same people that say, hey, make sure you have a personal website, too, mm -hmm. because if email are the contacts that belong to you. A website is your piece of real estate on the internet that belongs to you. It's your no home. algorithm can take it away. You can put all your content there, and it's always going to be the place where people can find you. I also heard good advice on that, which is your web page is your home, and you want mm. your home to be welcoming. You want to build it in a way that people would want to come hang out with you in your home. It's your presentation of self. So it's not just a marketing tool. It's, it's your home on the digital world. And for music supervisors, as we've talked about on the show before, it's how they find information about you and your music when they oh want to put your stuff in a movie or TV show. Don't make things hard for music supervisors, people. All right. Before we bring in LJ Malberg, um, I have a little bit of entertainment law news this week. Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. I haven't been able to play that clip in so long. In fact, I probably haven't played that clip in so long that most of the audience is like, what the hell is Why that? Why did that just happen? Yeah. <laughs> so a long time ago, probably when Vine was still popular, when I did entertainment law news on the show, we would play that clip from Judge Dredd. And... I would love to get to the point where I don't have to explain these references anymore, but we're, we keep getting new audience, so I have That's to like... That's right. It's, it's the biggest struggle with, with podcasting. When you get new audience that comes in, you want to be inclusive and explain the stuff to them, but then like your diehard fans get pissed because like they want to gatekeep it. Was. Like, oh no, don't explain the references. They should have to go back to episode one so they know the references. It's a, it's a struggle. It's a balancing act. But the last time you did it was like pre-XM radio... That's and true. like, you know, big shout outs to one, four, five, but, uh, <laughs> what? Um, big shout outs to one, we four, need five. To, yeah. They're going to laugh at me later. Um, <laughs> but we need to keep them in the loop too. We've got new listeners. Don't worry. Um, keep coming. 
You saying big shout outs to one, four, five is never going to be the nerdiest thing in a podcast episode where I did a Richard Blumenthal impression. So <laughs> you need not worry about that. So I, I have a couple entertainment law stories okay. for you, Lauren. And I'm kind of curious, like, I'm not sure if we do one of these. I'm not sure if we do both of these here. I'm going to do it this, this way. I'm going to let you pick which one we do first. And then if there's time, we'll do the second one. Okay. Do you want to hear about a trademark law dispute featuring breakfast cereal <laughs> or, and this is probably not even fair the way I'm going to sell this, um, a dispute between an artist and a manager in Miami involving the sale of a $4 million house in Doral and jewelry and a cars and expensive cars. Breakfast cereal. Whoa, she goes <laughs> off the board. Ooh, I mean, I'm she's, sorry, but like we don't want to hear about rich people's problems right now. She uh, zigs when <laughs> she zigs when we all zag. There's a whole bunch of people listening to the radio. Like, what? You don't want to hear the Miami? <laughs> like, no, you know how many people are like, yay, breakfast cereal. All right. Well, you know what? This is why Lauren's the producer. We're going breakfast cereal. <laughs> Post Foods is currently okay. involved in a federal trademark case <laughs> with power pop band OK Go. You remember OK Go? Uh-huh. Yeah, they the music video where they're dancing on the treadmills. Uh, probably my favorite music video making like band a big ever. One take, right? Yeah, they that do a lot of one take videos. Um, their their uh, their music video for "This Too Shall Pass," which has this giant Rube Goldberg machine, is still one of my favorite music videos ever. They're awesome. And now they're and in trouble. Of, and of course, Post Foods is awesome. These are my two favorite. Like, what do I love more than OK Go and breakfast cereal? Nothing. I don't like. I feel like my mommy and daddy are fighting right now. I don't want these two <laughs> fighting. They should be best friends, but they're fighting because they are in a federal court case because OK Go is accusing Post Foods of infringing on its trademark rights because uh, Post Foods has created this new on-the-go cereal package uh, brand that is called OK Go, mm. and so. Uh, you know, OK Go is sent a bunch of cease and desist letters saying, hey, you got to fix this. We got to work this out. Uh, this is, you know, we got to figure something out here because you're using our brand without our permission. And Post did something pretty interesting, okay. which you see sometimes kind of a strategic move. Rather than waiting for OK Go to eventually sue them for trademark infringement, they did uh, the what we lawyers call the pulling the Band-Aid off move. And they beat OK Go to the punch. They went to a federal court seeking what's called a declaratory judgment, where they said, hey, federal court, we think this band is about to sue us for trademark infringement. We want you to rule and tell them that we're not violating their trademark. We want you to give us a declaratory judgment saying that it is OK that we brand our food OK Go, even though this band name is also OK Go. And so that's now a, a lawsuit in federal court. And, um, you know, so and, and what Post Foods is arguing, which is not necessarily at all a bad legal argument, it's what anybody would argue in this case is, hey, we understand that OK Go has a registered trademark, but that registered trademark is in entertainment services. They are a band. If another band wants to call themselves OK Go, then by all means, sue the crap out of them. But we're not in the music business. We're in the breakfast cereal business. Mm. We're in the golden crisp business. We're in the honey bunches of oats business. And so we can have a similar name to this band uh -uh. and not get in trouble. And so that's the argument they're making. Okay. And it's going to, and, and a judge is going to have to decide because it's a tricky case. But see, like, I, mm -mm, I'm on OK Go's side of this one, number one. Which OK Go? 
<laughs> I'm on the ban <laughs> side for a few reasons. One, if Post is going to say we do cereals, now you have to take all the entertainment out of your cereals. Are you going to stop playing music in your commercials? Because now I have a band who's playing a song for my commercial and saying, well, I played the OK Go song. No, you played a song for the cereal brand, whatever. And now you're getting things all messed up. Like, I, I think they have a very valid clause because though they're not in the breakfast cereal industry, that breakfast cereal industry is in the entertainment industry. See now, Lauren, I think you should have gone to law school because that is <laughs> basically the argument that OK Go is making. So what okay. OK Go is arguing is that, look, nobody is confusing a rock band for a breakfast cereal. But what could be confused is when you stick the name OK Go on a breakfast cereal, when a company like Post could have music in their commercials or maybe could have a band be the spokesperson for their cereal company, we you could be confusing consumers into thinking that OK Go is sponsoring this band or right. sponsoring this food product, mm -hmm. that this is OK Go brand, you know, music brand uh, breakfast cereal, which is not a first like no, that's a thing like, that's been done. And, yeah. and in fact, I believe I have to read the case again, but I think OK Go actually did some kind of branding thing with Post Serial about a decade ago. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of thickened this a little bit. So normally, yeah, two different industries, like two different companies and two different industries can have a similar name most of the time. But right. in cases like this where there may be some, con if you could, if consumers could be possibly confused that there could be a sponsorship issue here then a court might be more willing to find it. And I'm going to be interested. I, I want to follow this case yeah. and see kind of what happens here. I think uh, depending on how it goes down, whether or not a court just dismisses this on summary judgment and says, no, 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 you don't get this. Okay, go the band. They're, they're two different industries. Uh, get out of my courtroom. Or if they say, you know what? There might be enough of a case here that we want to let a jury decide at which point uh, this could get pretty entertaining and have a lot of implications in the music industry for how far and how much strength a musician's brand has and how much it can spread into different industries, particularly the sort of industries that have consumer products where a band might actually want to be like the spokesperson for yeah. a particular product. And that kind of bugs me, too, where I'm, I'm mad at Post right now for for. You know, most of the time this stuff can get solved by, you know, talking to people mm -hmm. and working something out. But they were like, we're taking this to court. And, it, you know, it just seems a little shady. <laughs> why, why you got to go there? I mean, if it winds up there, OK, but we could have started with a conversation. Yeah. So you're saying OK Go is being like, hey. You didn't have to make a federal case out of this, which they right. Did. They were like, "Hey, look, maybe we could have just negotiated to make it an okay go branded thing. Like, mm. let's make a deal." And instead, the company was like, "No, we're taking you to court because we've got money." It's like, well, why? <laughs> well, and that's what okay go like has said like in public statements. They're like, "Look, we get that you all have like a thousand more lawyers than we do, yeah. but you know now you're just bullying us. You're bullying us, exactly." <laughs> I, I'm mad at Post now. I'm going to go buy Kellogg's. Um, Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Man. Don't make me mad. No. So, and now we're about to introduce our new sponsor for Break the Business, <laughs> Post Cereal. Oh, no! No. no. Uh, of no. course not. All right. Um, so, like, here's the thing. Now we're out of time. Nobody's going to get to hear the story of how a music manager allegedly took $4 million of their client's money and used it to buy a house in Doral. 
because Lauren wanted to hear about breakfast cereal. And because it's a little too Miami for my taste. It is it is it is such a Miami. I might hold on to this for next week so that because so people don't miss this story was absolutely wild. But we will we will table it because we got a fantastic guest coming up the next segment. So let's take a let's take a commercial break and compose ourselves. LJ Malberg coming up next here on Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. You can check us out on all major podcast platforms, all the live streaming services that you can think of, and also on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. What'd you say earlier, Lauren? Big up to 145. What was the uh, the super uh, cool expression that you threw our way? I don't know. I was like, shout out to the 145. That's from what the it was. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to the 145. <laughs> Uh, wherever you're checking us out, we are so happy to have you with us. Ryan Carella here with producer Lauren. Lauren, you told me that um, <laughs> that our dad had like a question for me that apparently we wanted to take up time on the radio show to answer. What what did what did dad yeah. want to talk to me about? So, of course, he doesn't say, hey, can you ask Ryan this? He goes, you have the podcast tonight, right? Can you ask him this on the air? <laughs> so the question is. Our father saw a post on your Facebook page that you will be working at the University of Miami. Woo! Now, he was unclear based on your post as to whether that meant you were going to actually be teaching or whether you were just doing a lecture. <laughs> I think I know his confusion. So, yes, I... I will be teaching. I am teaching. I should say. I started uh, yesterday, Monday. I'm teaching at the University of Miami. I'm teaching a, a business law and ethics class. Very, very excited. The University of Miami is my alma mater, so it's so cool to be on the faculty for them. My position at the university is lecturer. So I think Dad probably got confused by that, and he's like, "Oh, is he lecturing or is he teaching?" Right. And in college parlance, 
a lecturer is still a teacher. Like I teach a class, I have a full course load. The difference is, is that when you have a title like professor, you actually make a livable wage. Whereas if you, <laughs> if you're called a lecturer, uh, you, you make a paltry sum, but we don't do it for the money. We do it to enlighten the next generation. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm Just very much like teaching a, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, al- I, I'm already used to talking a lot for very little money. I've been hosting this podcast for five or six years or eight or eight. God, you're right. It's been like eight years. <laughs> Um, so like, why not also do it for the university of Miami? Yeah, that's awesome. So is that different than an adjunct? I don't know. Probably. Well, congratulations (laughs) on your position as a lecturer. (laughs) Um, yes, yes, indeed. So I I know we got our guests coming up in just a second. I want you to remind me, Lauren, because Mm -hmm. uh, our, our guest who's coming up in a second, LJ Malberg, she's terrific and she's an amazing coach. But in addition to everything else, I know she is a Big fan of Hallmark Christmas movies. I will confess, I am not a fan of Hallmark Christmas movies. I have nothing against them. I've just never seen them. I don't even know what channel the Hallmark channel is. But I know that you... What is it? There's like three of them now. Of course there is. (laughs) Of course there is. Um, But I know you're a fan of these movies. So let's make sure we carve out some time in this interview for you and her to just go to town talking Hallmark Christmas movies. All right. Let's bring out our guest here. She is an artist coach and the CEO of Compassionate Muse, a year-round subscription-based business coaching platform that also offers masterclasses, mindfulness sessions, networking, and other resources. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting comuse.work. We are happy to welcome LJ Malberg on to Break the Business. Hi, LJ. Hi. Hello. Ah, This is so much fun. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. We cannot wait to talk about coaching with you and apparently also to talk about Hallmark movies. Before we <laughs> before we get to the Hallmark movies, which is why, you know, we all really want to hear from you, of course. Um, I, I want to talk about your uh, really cool coaching work that you're doing. And there, there's one thing that I noticed right up on the front end when reading about you is you are the CEO of this coaching platform, Compassionate Muse. But you note on the platform that CEO doesn't stand for what we traditionally know CEO to stand for. You say CEO stands for Compassionate Executive Officer. Tell us about this. What, what's with the, uh, the fabulous sounding but different title? Thanks for acknowledging my special title. <laughs> um, I, uh, I have been just baking in the idea of what it means to wake up, live, work, be compassionate um, in the midst of um, almost 30 years of working in arts and entertainment and music and tech, um, where many sectors of the industry are lacking a lot of compassion and how to just show Lack of compassion in the music industry? Are you sure? What a shocker. It's nothing but cuddles and teddy bears here. I don't know what you're talking about. All warm and fuzzy. All (laughs) warm and fuzzy. Yeah. And, and, but do it in a way that feels, um, for uh, genuine. Yeah. In a way that feels genuine because, you know, there's the whole uh, toxic positivity thing going on, which I don't know if you can say this on the show, but it's a bunch of bullshit. Can I say that? Yeah, I mean, the damage is done. No, it's fine. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it really showing up as me, what it means to show up as me, and and 
and be that compassion, uh, not just for other people, but for myself as I make my way through my own career and, um, and be of service to others. So uh, I decided to, to have it reflect in my title and that's more nuanced. Um, I'm really glad you noticed it. I, I just changed it um, in the past maybe year and a half. Well, I often find that compassion is a attribute that is sorely lacking amongst most CEOs. And so uh, any CEO who uh, makes sure it's right in their title, that's always going to be intriguing to me. You talked about to toxic positivity uh, just now. And, yeah. you know, that just set off like my fight or flight response because... Um, this is something that is kind of a is kind of everywhere in in independent creation for creators like they are surrounded by people trying to hit them with toxic positivity. Can you tell the viewers and listeners a little bit about what you mean by that and like why it's so pervasive? Yeah, I mean, I think that the intention behind it is good, but the way that it is received by people on the receiving end um, is what I would call the great invalidator of feelings. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody's entitled to feel the way they feel. Like 100% of their feelings, they're entitled to them. They're theirs. They're yours. They're mine. We get to own them. And for somebody to come in, anybody to come in and automatically like blanket it with no, don't feel that way. Feel this way, which is so much better. And maybe, maybe uh, for them, but for the person who's feeling the feelings, uh, it not only feels invalidating, it feels uh, just like a total disconnect with the, per with the other person. Yeah. So if the intention is to try to make a connection uh, a create a deeper understanding and a deeper relationship with people in the industry. Uh, don't come in with your toxic positivity bullshit because yeah. it's, it just bounces quite frankly. And it, and it also, um, I think it ricochets yeah. a few times too. It does more damage than good. Yeah. I I... Say, it's not just bouncing. Sometimes it does damage. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. And the notion that probably the worst thing about that kind of talk is that it doesn't validate the feelings, right? If you are, if you're going through a tough time as a creator and, you know, somebody hits you with a, think of how much worse it could be. There's so many artists that are, you know, going through tougher times than you, like you got things going great. And like, what, what better way to tell somebody like, you know, your feelings aren't valid. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that can be crushing. And so know. much advice people get like, you know, nobody wants to deal with your problems and only hang out with people whose influence will help better your career. And it's it's like this world of people don't want to deal with you. And so finding mm. a community of people who are willing to, I think, is important for a lot of artists. And that's, I think, in part what Comuse is doing. Yes, is that? Yeah, I love that, Lauren. Yeah, I, I feel like... Um, we want to create a space at, um, at Compassionate Muse is, is the umbrella company uh, that I founded and Comuse is our community. Um, we want to create a space where people feel seen, heard and respected, but also can practice seeing and hearing and respecting other people in real time. Mm. So this is um, 
we call it year-round professional development support, where people are showing up and doing the work in real time, practicing mindful self-awareness through mindfulness practices, but also like actually mock meetings, um, conflict resolution discussions, um, uh, contract negotiations, um, places where sometimes tough conversations happen where a lot of people pleasers, which makes up, I would say, the majority of um, our industry um, versus the people needers who are the opportunists and they take and take um, to the point that it can hurt other people uh, sometimes, right? So um, we're creating a space to uh, kind of bring balance back to the system. And the only way you get better at this is with practice. So we create safe spaces for people to practice. And then uh, they practice in the community. And then they go out. And there's ripple effects in, in the real world, in the industry. So they take what they've learned and they apply it to their careers and to their businesses. And people see real change. It's really exciting work. Very, I'm in awe of this work. Um, and I practice it myself every day. So I like it, the idea know. of a, of the vision of your company, not just being to heal and, and be restorative to the artists you work with, but that they're going to pay it forward and create ripple effects throughout the industry yeah. so that a, a wider share of the creative community can benefit from this kind of intervention. That's really yeah. cool. You talked a little bit about this idea of mindful self-awareness. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, so mindful self-awareness is waking up to what's going on in the moment and being able to separate what's happening from the story that you are telling yourself about what's happening. Um, in uh, I am a student of Buddhism for um, going on 25 years. And in Buddhism, um, what we do is is we we practice um, the separation of the thought as though the thought that is occurring or, you know, inner voice um, is sort of just a cloud in the sky and it's passing by. So it's, it's temporary, right? This story that we are clinging to is actually moving and passing and will be gone in just a moment. And so if you stay present, to what's actually happening in the moment. You're open to um, open-heartedness, um, active listening, curiosity. You end up learning more about the people or the person that you're speaking to um, and about yourself in that moment um, because you're actually there and you're awake in the moment versus paying attention to the story and you're not listening and you're not really paying attention to what's going on. You're missing the moment. Um, so, so mindful self-awareness is, is breaking those two things apart and getting clear that, oh, this thought is temporary and maybe the story that I'm telling myself about what's actually happening is not actually what's happening and that I'm not the victim here. Or um, maybe this person is actually that I'm speaking to is actually suffering right now and trying to work through something. And they're not attacking me. They're just angry 
at a situation. It's well, it's situational, right? Well, so you can separate the person. Well, trying to get the people you work with to kind of get into the present. I mean, that sounds that sounds like it makes perfect sense and it sounds easy in theory, but I would imagine with the yeah. people that you work with, it's excruciating, especially when you're working with artist entrepreneurs who by their nature have to be forward thinking, have to be planning their next 10 steps. So they're thinking about the future. Also, like any human being, they're spending a lot of time dwelling on the past, thinking about their past mistakes, looking back on their past successes and trying to figure out how to repeat them. So as humans, since we are all kind of naturally looking forward and looking backward, how do you as a coach get people into the present? Great question, Brian. Um, I love this question so much. <laughs> so if people are caught up in the past, I will interrupt them because what they're doing is they're living in their story and they've probably gone over this story a million times and there's no new information in the story. It's already, it's happened. There's by retelling it, there's no inf new information that they are going to learn. They're venting, right? <laughs> so um, I'll interrupt them and we will work to create something new in this moment by asking a powerful question like, I hear what you don't want. What is it that you do want instead? Mm. Or how, what is something that's really um, that you're noticing about what has happened in that story? One thing maybe that you're noticing about that story that you would like to bring forward into your future that will serve you well. And then they have to start now in this moment with that. And then they can start to move forward and progress. So coaching is very much about focusing on the present, moving it into the future. Um, we really don't focus on the past. Um, the past can be helpful for diagnosis. Coaching doesn't diagnose. Um, that's really much more in the area of therapy and counseling. Um, I am a huge fan of therapy and counseling, um, but it's like two halves to a whole. So um, the past it really isn't addressed in coaching. Coaching is very much about the now, okay, and where do you want to go from here? Mm. And then um, we partner to figure out what that looks like. And then there's an accountability piece. So, you know, how are they going to show up for themselves to make sure that they're really committed, if they're really committed to this? Um, because a lot of people will say they want something, but then when you drill down with them, maybe they don't really want it. Maybe they're not really, really willing to do the work and suffer all the pain. I feel like she's to talking to me, Lauren. <laughs> like she's not mentioning me by name, but I really feel like she's looking me in the eye while she's saying that. I, well, we're so all I'm like this, right? <laughs> I, something intrigued me about what I read on your page, and you've mentioned it uh, already on here, which is creating a safe space. And uh, I, I feel like that's something we've lost uh, post-pandemic, where, especially in the virtual world, we're losing a lot of the accountability. People can get up and walk away. Uh, they can judge you from a distance. Um, how are you creating that safe space in a digital world? I go first. <laughs> um, I, that, that, that really has been my sort of my uh, mantra. 
um, in building this business, which we just had our fifth year anniversary. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it, thank you. Thank you. That's it is something milestone. to celebrate. Yeah. It's big. It's big. And building, building something from nothing from an idea is especially something as nuanced as what we're doing in this industry. It's big. And, um, my mantra has always been, I go first because vulnerability, um, genuine vulnerability, not bullshit, again, that people <laughs> smell that from a mile away. So genuine vulnerability to want to improve myself in a way that feels genuine and authentic to me, not to you, not to anybody else, me. I'm struggling with something. This is what I want to work on. I need to get from A to Z. And this is how I think I want to do it. Sharing that story, it's really as simple as that. Sharing that story with the community is enough to green light the whole group. It's amazing, actually. And, you know, some people are a little slower to move forward than others. Everybody moves at their own pace. There's no, you know, I, I'm very big on we judge ourselves enough. We are our own worst critics, especially in this business. Oh my gosh, so much mental health. Um, so much mental health issues oh, yeah. going on right now. And it, yeah. it really, um, I don't need to create a space where we, everyone's feeling judged by everybody else. That's not what we're trying to do. So if somebody needs to move sm slower or someone wants to embrace hustle culture, more power to them both. We have space for everyone here. But it's important for me to go first because that gives everyone else permission to do it. And I've been in the business nearly 30 years. I've worn many, many hats, and um, including a Ticketmaster hat. I heard you earlier. <laughs> Whoa. And, but not currently. <laughs> not currently. Not currently. Um, but it, it um, you know, for me to be able to have enough resilience to, to go through all of these hats and um, create a new chapter my, for myself in this way, um, I've had to, I've had to show my cards a lot. And that isn't to say that people haven't taken advantage of me or the content that I put out once in a while, certainly not the majority. It happens sometimes, but, you know, creativity is limitless. <laughs> and, you know, as long as I am creative enough to outsmart the system, I will always be one step ahead as long as I am aligned with my core values. So that is something that's a really big thing that we bring into the community. And uh, we invite everybody to, again, do their thing. And we do a lot of cross promotion. So if people want to promote outside of the community to another community or another network, we're really big on that because networking and relationships is everything in this business. Mm -hmm. um, we're very like, service. I am very service minded. That's very important to me to support people, how they in in the way that they define success for themselves. And if you want to find out more about our guest LJ Malberg's community for creators, go to comuse.work and uh, be a part of it. It sounds pretty exciting. Now, 
with the time we have left before we get to our final question for the week, I did promise Lauren that she would have the chance to get to like rap with you about Hallmark Christmas movies while I pretty much am just going to be a spectator. Um, <laughs> At this Lauren, point, what do you got for LJ on Hallmark Christmas you know, movies? At this point, we just get to explain that, you know, we are at the level of kissing credits. Like, it's all been built up to this moment, and the storyline doesn't really matter. But right now, we're all going to be satisfied because we get the kiss, we're all happy, and then we get the credits. The big city lawyer, the big city lawyer woman got to meet, like, the man who owns the flower shop. Yeah. Okay. And she's going to you know she's going to break up with her big city fiance cuz she found her true love in yeah. the small town it, where she grew up. But it's like our our local <laughs> theater group like you get to see the same actors playing different roles and it's satisfying and uh and you're never going to go home feeling terrible about yourself and uh it's a nice palate cleanser. I don't know. Do you do you do you agree do you like the the kiss and credits theory like every oh my movie ends with that. Everyone. The, the predictability is such a creature comfort for me. Comfort. And Lauren, I don't know how many times you've seen The Princess Bride, but I grew up in, you know, a theater drama nerd community in high school and we watched that thing every day after school and <laughs> I used to have every line memorized, not anymore, but the, the predictability, it's a formula. It's yeah. a formula. It always ends well. Yeah. Unlike real life. And mm. for me, it's just, I get to zone out. I'm yes. also a huge David Lynch fan, which is completely what? different from Hallmark yeah. movies. By the way, <laughs> if we could get David Lynch to do a Hallmark Christmas movie. I don't know if that's I mean, happen. I will. I mean, I, <laughs> I'll watch that after school every day like it's the Princess Bride. That's going to be something else. Oh, man. <laughs> so many plot twists. So many. Oh, no. Yes. I, yeah. I say they're, they're great to have on in the background and Christmas time when you're wrapping presents and such. Because if you walk out of the room and you come back, you don't feel like you missed it and you've got to go back. Like, it just keeps you satisfied and keeps something going on and it keeps you going, you know what? There can be good in this world. It will get better tomorrow. Even though I'm a single dad who's been widowered because we can't ever have anybody divorced. They've all Oh no, he has to be a widower. Exes. That's right. the rule. <laughs> Um, if he was previously married, he's absolutely a widower. And like the struggling. the only reason he's not married is because of something that is through no fault of his own, so that you know he's still the perfect right. man. Right, and then he needs the woman to come into his life to help him because you know without her, it's been rough. Uh, but it he can have hope. one kid as long as he's the most adorable little kid you've ever seen. And, and the kid makes adorable. the connection. It's not not the oh, adults. Yeah. The kid makes the connection. <laughs> You know, I think that I have embraced it mostly uh, because of COVID, and mm. um, it, I've in, I've always enjoyed them. Um, yeah. But during COVID times, you really kept me company. I felt you needed like it to was feel a good. Yeah, a friend. You know, a reliable, predictable friend. I agree. So yeah. you admit that these movies are all completely formulaic and predictable, but as far as you're concerned, that's not a oh, yeah. bug. That's a feature. That's yeah. why you are drawn to these things. I needed some stability. Because you in know my life, how okay? the you know what the beginning like. Once you see the beginning, and you know, like, okay, uh, what big city job does the heroine have? What small town job does the hero have? Once you get the beginning, you can already predict the middle and the end. And you like that about these oh, yeah. shows. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a soap opera that ends in 90 minutes. 
Yeah, without, <laughs> I was going to say, without all the drama, like we don't have to, you know, kill somebody or cheat on them to continue the storyline. Like we can get satisfaction the <laughs> whole movie. I but I mean some of these Hallmark movies I call them Hallmark but not all of them are actually Hallmark movies uh, but the formula is Hallmark. Yeah. So when I when it's I'm its own genre to Hallmark, it's, it's a feel good it's a, Christmas it's a genre. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it has to be a Christmas Hallmark movie exactly for me. Um but it it for me it's like um gosh I I I feel like yes the formula is absolutely on lock. Um, and the characters change. They're getting a little edgier now. There are some divorces. Whoa. Um, oh, yeah. They're not on more than one kid. <laughs> some of them aren't as adorable as they used to be. I mean, we're going right from PG to PG 13, y'all. Watch what? out. So. But, yeah. but I mean, they, they are like formulaic enough that like they crank these out like crazy, right? Like they do like a bunch, like they release like oh, yeah. 20 of these every year. Like it's just, Good. it's an assembly line. Yeah, but it's like I keep going back to it's a it's a film version of a local theater troupe. Like you should be able to do a bunch of shows and rep. And when your audience gets the musical that they've been looking for, they're not mad because they know what's going to happen. They're enjoying the event of going and like feeling good. Gosh forbid you want (laughs) to feel good these days. It's delightful. It's it delightful. It's like a big hug. I love it. Honestly, just I reading really that, do. the reason I got so excited, not because like I'm this huge, you know, Hallmark fan, but it was more so when I heard somebody else, I was like, oh, that made me feel good. Just hearing the like, oh, you know, it's my guilty pleasure Hallmark movies. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've blown through radio time here, of course. Uh, You can find out more about our guest work by visiting uh, comuse.work. Our guest, uh, acclaimed music business coach and Hallmark movie aficionado, LJ Malver, joining us. LJ, this has been a treat. I feel like this interview has been a hug and it's been a blast. Before we let you go, one last question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? I would say that the number one thing to focus on right now is how can you partner with AI to leverage your career in a way that boosts you and feels aligned with you and not in a way where you feel like you're fighting with the tool or threatened by the tool Rather, it's benefiting you to be even more creative. If you could focus on this one thing this year, you will have an edge on your career moving forward in 2023. I really do believe that. Um, As probably I. not the I advice that. that you thought I would give. But no, yeah. I love no, it. It, uh, it, it makes perfect sense. Like we're the show that lets AI write the first segment of our podcast each week. So I heard that. Uh, you, you, de- you definitely ha- have a sympathetic ear to that notion. Uh, LJ, this has been great. My thanks to you. Thanks to you as well. Producer Lauren. Um, thanks to all of you viewers and listeners as well for checking out break the business. It's been a thrill. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>